My name's Rod, and I'm an addict, alcoholic. I'm going to thank Amanda for putting me in my place on the drive down here. Um, nothing is more beautiful than watching a beautiful woman spit Nicorette gum right out of her window. I love that shit. I think that is the most beautiful thing in the world, personally. You know what I mean? Um, I, um, my sponsor's watching, so I got to behave. Um, my sobriety date is April the 7th of um, 2004. Um, I have two sobrieties, and I'll kind of explain that. Um, I originally got uh, clean in July the 11th of 1988. And I'll tell you about that, Rod. He put together 15 and a half years. He had no God. He was a hollowed out soul. He bought his own hype about what he did for a living. He traveled all over the world and he thought he was king shit on Turd Hill. And I was warned by my sponsor, Jim S. at the time, you're gonna fall and you're gonna fall hard. No, I'm not, you know? And in the winter of 2003, I relapsed for five months and um, I relapsed hard. And that humility that I dodged and tried to avoid in those first 15 and a half years came crashing down on me. And this last, I have the same sobriety date as my friend Amanda does right there. I have the same sobriety of, of April 7th. Um, this, this, this almost 17 years has been different and it had to be. It could not, I could not do anything in any way that reflected those 15 and a half years because I, I, I was just a piece of shit. I just happened to be clean. You know, I worked in the field of addictions since April of, uh, February the 19th will be 32 years I've been working in the field of addictions. And I just bought my own hype. I thought I was all that, you know? I thought that I could just do what I wanted to do. And this is what's crazy. In those 15 and a half years, I wrote eight inventories, eight, and probably did no six steps. This last time, in the last 17 years, I've done two inventories and I have, embraced six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. Whereas before I just wanted to purge and go back to what I was doing, you know, and it showed in my behavior. It showed in my actions. I had all the money and I had a nice house. I had no soul. I had no trust. I had, you know, the only people that loved me had my last name. What does that tell you? You know, and um, the one thing that I also want to say is that an uh, almost 33 years that I've been around, I've only had four sponsors, okay? Um, I buried two that died of natural causes or, or, or diabetes is one. And the other two, my first sponsor, Jim S., he's coming up on 48 years in, in May. And the sponsor I have now, he's looking at me right now, who I love immensely, you know? Um, real briefly about my background, I was born and raised in I don't like, I don't say this now because I don't live there anymore, but I'll tell you guys, I was born and raised in Riverside, California. And uh, yeah, the divine 909, let me tell you. Um, and I was raised, I was born in a, a Hispanic family, a Catholic family. My father was a uh, powerful man in a labor union to have two horses going on the opposite side of each other. You know what that is. And uh, he uh, ran the Western United States. And in Riverside, when I was in high school, I had five DUIs in high school, five. That's not bragging, trust me, I'm not bragging. I, I'm not bragging. I had five DUIs and I got out of all of them at two because of my father. My dad's 
power almost killed me. My dad's respect and what he did and the people that respected or feared him almost killed me, you know? Um, and I remember going to court the last time and the judge sentenced me to AA meetings and I'll never forget this, this is my first AA meeting. I smoked about a half a gram of hash by myself and I walked into a candlelight meeting at 17 and a half years of age. I freaked out. You know what I mean? I'm sitting in this meeting going, what the hell is going on, man? You know what I mean? And then they passed this basket, you know, and I, and I had this like, and, and the thing was, the judge says, I want three signatures. I went into that meeting, I got one, and I feel the other two waiting for my mom to pick me up, <laughs> you know? And um, I got out and, and I, I was, I excelled in sports in high school. Um, I was ranked second in the state of California in golf. That's awesome, isn't it? I was gonna go to Ohio State. I had a letter of intent and on a drunken stupor, I joined the military. Why? Because just to piss off my dad and I wanted the hell out of Riverside quickly. You know, I visited Ohio State. It was gray and gloomy and it was horrible. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want to come here, man. Goddamn, you know, you know, I also visited Miami, University of Miami. I visited UNLV, Arizona State and Pepperdine. And in visiting these states, these colleges, you know, I am. Um, I was looking at the girls. I was looking at the beach. I wasn't looking at the curriculum. I wouldn't even give a shit about the golf team. You know what I mean? I just wanted to party and I wanted to do it away from my mom and dad's eyes. That's all I wanted to do. Well, the guy who was ranked second in the state of California in basketball was Ricky Collier. He was underneath Reggie Miller, okay? And Ricky Collier and I are drunk and we work for Riverside Park and Recreation. So we just joined the Navy the next day. On the buddy system, I never saw that guy for the next six years. We were on the buddy system. I never saw him one time, you know? And I went into a special operations group in the Navy, uh, explosive ordnance and disposal, you know, bomb tech, or I blow stuff up, you know? And um, I'm sorry, I'm deaf as hell, by the way. She'll even tell you, I can't hear anything, even when she's yelling at me. Um, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, I deployed in the Congo from 1984 to 1987. Now, I've heard other guys speak about things that they did in their sobriety. And that's three years that I don't like to talk about from the podium. I barely even like to talk about it in therapy, you know, because if you know anything about the Congo, it was from like Somalia, South, all the way up to Sudan to Mozambique for three years. It was, I get chills thinking about that time of my life and that area. It was hell on earth. It was, it was bad. I saw, and I did some things that I don't like to talk about and when I finally did talk about it, I kind of let him go. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with a term called EMDR, but uh, in 2008, I went through EMDR. And for the past 12 years, I haven't had a flashback. And the two things that would set me off were eucalyptus, the smell, and diesel exhaust. Those two things would send me back. And I would panic attacks on the side of the road when a bus go by. And people were like, what's wrong with you? Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Like, are you loaded? I'm like, no. And I was literally having a panic attack because that smell would take me back to that time in my life, you know? And um, so I ended up like destroying my overseas status. They sent me back. I spent like four months in Coronado Island. And then they basically just said, you know, I got in trouble. I got in trouble bringing dope onto a base. And then I went to the University of Leavenworth for about, you know, a couple of years there, you know, and then I got out and I flatlined in front of my parents twice in July of 88 and uh they brought this man over to talk to me and um i just see back then when you overdosed they stuck you in the nut ward because they weren't sure if it was in a suicide attempt 
Okay, this is back in the 80s, okay? And I overdosed and they put me in the nut ward and I just felt like I was in heaven. I mean, I don't know about you, but they had me on a bunch of Ativan and Thorazine and all. I'm like, eh, buddy. Nah, you know, and I was wearing the gown and the women were on the bottom floor and the men were on the top and we're like, hey, man. You know, and I was 23 years old, 24. I was crazy, you know? And I mean, I felt like that was like a safest place for me to be, you know? And um, so I get out and this man talks to me. He goes, you're not crazy. And I'm like, Okay, he goes, because you're an addict. So I'm like, dude, my parents are in the next room. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, dude, you don't think they know? And I'm like, well, no, I never said that to them. I'm like, you flatlined twice in five weeks. I'm like, well, I, I just had a misdiagnosis. You know, I mean, I missed, I didn't, I wasn't measured. And Dr. Holman looked at me and goes, shut up. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, there's a place for people like you and me. I go, I know, I just got out of Ward B. That's what they call the psych ward, Ward B. He goes, no, 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 no. It's a rehab in Pasadena called Impact, right? And uh, July of 88, uh, July 11th of 88, I checked into Impact. And I I'm going to tell you the truth. And I need to say this. I did not stay clean and sober for anything that I have right now. That's, to this day, I don't stay clean and sober for what I have. Those are just the most beautiful blessings and gifts that God felt I should have. Because what I really think I deserve, if I was to tell you something and go, wow, how does somebody sober like so long say that? Because I know what I've done. I know how I think, okay? And I'm not perfect, you know? I, I'm not one of those guys, I'll never walk on water. If I do, it's gonna be because the pipe busted in my house, okay? But it's not gonna be because I didn't, because I've earned any right, you know? Um, I have been, around for almost 33 years. And I'm gonna tell you these last 17 years have been the best years of my entire life. You know, um, you know I, I really believe that the humility that I needed, I needed, I, I personally relapsed for five months. I got clean again. And in the result of that, my wife and I at the time had been trying to get pregnant for three years. Nothing. I got 68 days. Babe, look at this. And I'm freaking out because I have never, I, I've never been responsible for anybody, not even me. You know, I've never been, my, even ask my ex-wife, she'll tell you, he's not responsible for anything, you know. But when that baby was born on March the 7th of 2005, my world changed completely because now this little thing I'm responsible for. Okay. And what I mean, by, I'm almost going to cry because now she's 16 and kicking my ass, you know, but my little girl made me drive slower. That little girl made me not lock eyes with guys in the room because I know how to throw hands or I know how to, I know how to fight. I, my whole world changed for the first time in my life. I began to try to preserve myself. I wanted to live as long as I could and I no longer wanted to die. Even in sobriety, I had suicide attempts in those first 15 and a half years. I felt ugly inside for the things that I did in the military. And I wore those things like, a, like a, the inside cancer inside myself. You know, if you've got trauma and I don't know what it is, and I don't care what it is, do what you gotta do to let it go. I managed to stay sober and clean. It was a miracle, but I was miserable. I was absolutely fucking miserable. I 
I didn't become emotionally available until 2012 after I did my three years of EMDR, by the way, okay? And I picked the most worst human being to be with, okay? And I, you guys are laughing, but it's the truth. This girl, like, oh my God, you know, I, I will say this. I, for 25 years that I've been around, stopped dating women in the program. Not because they're wrong, because I was wrong, okay? And then lately, you know what I mean? I'll just say that, you know, being called out on my own shit by somebody that I care about and respect, who I actually have a little crush on too as well, is humbling. You know, being told, dude, you know what? God damn you, Rod. And like before, the women were like, well, you know, they, whatever they thought about me. The one that thinks about me now, we're on an even keel, even though I'm five inches taller than her. Okay, we're on an even keel. Okay, now we're eye to eye. I haven't been eye to eye in a relationship in a large part of my life. And I am now, and I'm gonna tell you, it's humbling, you know, because I have to say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. You know what, you're right, I'm freaking out. You know, you're right, I'm paranoid. You know, you're right, I'm not gonna, you know, we're gonna be late. We're not gonna be late, Rob. We're gonna, we got here a half hour early. Okay, and I, and I live in West Los Angeles. Okay, so I mean, I had to go by, pick her up. We're we gonna be late. We're gonna be late. She goes, Rod, shut up. You know, we're not gonna be late. And here we are, half hour early. And she goes, You better tell them what I told you. You know, I'm like, and I'm telling them. You know, um, this last sobriety, this is what I want to talk about real quick is the steps. Is that, you know, I had the honor of knowing some very wise and 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 beautiful old timers, you know, I know a lot of the old timers, okay, and it doesn't matter if you don't know, if you know a lot of, to me, an old timer is 35 years or more, okay, and the men that I have in my life, like my grand sponsor, Mike S, he and I sat down and had cigars, and he threw me some night step stuff, and I'm like, damn, I had no clue, you know, and I love that, I love the fact that there's no conclusion in regard to the knowledge of the 12 steps, there was a conclusion, but I relapsed. Now I don't have a conclusion. You know, um, I have a relationship with my sponsor. I respect. Let me tell you, just to be completely honest, yeah, there's three men that I fear because the military made me savage. Okay, two of them are dead, and the other one sponsors me. I fear the hell out of that man because you know what? He's calm. He's a man of few words. He doesn't say very much, and the words that he uses, I I embrace from wanting to jack somebody up in AA is destroying my relationship to fatherhood and parenting. And I'll just say this, that relapse that got me to where I'm at, I asked for help for everything, for my relationship. I asked my help with my sponsees. I asked my help for my daughter, you know? And, and I'll tell you what happened a few years ago so I can share what help I'm talking about. About three years ago, my daughter came up to me and said, hey, can you drop me and the other, you know, so-and-so off Maya and Nicole over at the Century City so we can hang out? I'm like, what, For, by yourself? And he goes, yeah, you can't follow us, dad. You can't just sit there and keep an eye on us, right? I was running the streets when I was 11, you know, but I was a man, I was a boy, whatever, right? No. So I go to my sponsor, hey man, check this out. And I, I was hoping he would co-sign my protectiveness, right? And this is what he asked me. He goes, well, what has she earned? I go, what do you mean? Is she a good kid? I go, she's straight A, she's honors. So give her what she's earned. And I was blown away by that. I dropped her off, her and her two friends at Century City to walk the mall so they could sit there and look at their phones like this, okay? And they went and they had a great time and I was home 
And you know what? This is what he told me that he, he, the experience he had with his son. He bought his son an old muscle car and fixed it up and he saw his son driving away. And he said, you know what, man? I was a part of that. I was a part of making that happen, you know? And my daughter's getting her license next month. Fuck. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that, you know what I mean? But she's getting her license next month. And um, I thank God for the men in my life. I don't, I don't navigate relationships, parenthood, fatherhood. I'm a single father. I don't navigate those things by myself. I did that before and I got loaded. I don't make those kind of decisions. I ask for advice. I ask for suggestions. What do you think about this? I run things by. And this is what has, has gotten me now into this place. I've learned the difference between responding versus reacting. Okay. When you ever hear they say the 911 call, they never say the fire department reacted to the call. They never say the police or paramedics. They never say reacted to the call. They always say responded, don't they? First responders, right? What I learned is that when I react and I looked up the definition, is I go backwards. When I react to something, I immediately go backwards, right? And I teach my sponsees this in the first step, you know? My head goes from zero to throwing hands to F you in seconds flat. My heart, if I was to let it go first, which is I'm learning now, I let my heart go first. And you know what my heart tells me to do? Shut up. Don't say a goddamn word. Just listen and maybe you might learn something, right? And the one thing that I can say in my sobriety this time is that I know how to shoot dope. I know how to be a criminal. I know how to, I know how to fight. I know battle. I know combat. You know what I don't know how to do? Forgive. You know what I don't know? How to, I don't even know how to be forgiven. You know, and this time around, I don't, I don't have my head is not clogged with all these resentments and bitterness. I've learned to truly let go. And I just, the best way that I can put it is the other day, somebody said something to him. I go, well, it's not going to put gas in my car. And he starts laughing at me. I'm like, I'm serious. You know what I mean? All that worrying and all that trouble and all that mind screwing with myself, it ain't going to put gas in my car. It's not going to make me a better man if I carry this stuff into the next day. You know, and this time around, I'm like I said, I came into the rooms when I was 23. But my first minute, I was 17 and a half. But that doesn't count. You know, um, I'm 55. I'm going to be 56 next month. I know I'm old. I know I'm old. And the thing is, is that they say when you're a little older, you're a little wiser. And I'll just say this. I, I sat in your seat in those first 15 and a half years and didn't hear one word that was being said in meetings because I was so self-absorbed. What am I going to do? Are they looking at me? Am I wearing the right clothes? Do I have the right vehicle? Do I have this? I was so wrapped up on what you thought of me that I forgot to actually be myself. And now, you know, I've got some sponsors. I picked up seven sponsees in the last year. What was I thinking? Anyway, um, I've got them. And you know what? They're helping me as much as I help them. You know, so I think sponsorship is so important. You know, I think being honest with my sponsor is absolutely, because see, you could have a sponsor for the title, right? And for the actually semantics of having a sponsor. But I tell him the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't just tell him, I don't give him the weather report. Well, I've got a chance of light and scattered acceptance with a good chance of, you know, clearing an early morning, you know, you know, serenity. That's, I, I used to do that. And my old sponsor, Jim, actually to call me out. Are you that 
full of shit, you know? And, and I would sit there and like, I didn't know, I didn't know that being honest with him, and I learned down the road, being honest with him is the answer to my serenity. Keeping all the dark stuff in, keeping all the bad stuff in, keeping all the twisted stuff in, that makes me sick. That makes me sick, okay? I don't know about you, but I know when I start accumulating a whole bunch of like, I oh, don't tell him that, oh, he doesn't need to do that, oh, no, no, no. When I start doing all that shit, I'm gonna tell you right now, I start to derail myself from where I'm at now. And where I'm at now, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the absolute world. Um, you know, I, I don't have a canned pitch when I come and speak. You know, I like kind of like where I'm at right now. And uh, I've worked in the field of addictions, like I said, for almost for 32 years. And you got to remember, I established myself before they had social media. They didn't have any platforms. I just busted my ass and just did what I needed to do. You know, I didn't have, they didn't even have, you know, they didn't even have like websites back then. And the one thing I have to say is that, and I hear people say, but I know I'm good at what I do. And I always have to ask myself, what does God want me to do? You know, I don't care how much somebody thinks they're good at something. If God doesn't want me to do it, it doesn't matter how good I think I am at it. You know, I know that I've been doing the same thing for 32 years, you know, and it's not, and trust me, I got into this field because I was a convicted felon and my resume didn't really, really look that good. Okay. I don't know about what your resumes look like, but mine looked bad. You know what I mean? I could shoot an M140A from about 800 meters. That was good. I was good at that, but you can't put that on a resume for a rehab. You know, I can blow stuff up. I can use Simtex, Pyrex. I could do whatever. But how do you save somebody else's life? You know, how do I help out? And that's where I'm at now. You know, I'm on the verge of possibly retiring. And I hope to God I can. Um, if I was to leave you guys with anything, it would be with this. Is that every scar I've ever had, every wound that I've ever gotten, I had a part in. I'm not a victim of anything. You know, I put myself in some bad situations in my life. I put myself, I've been shot, stabbed and blown up, you know, and not one time that they come to me, just so we're clear, I was there, you know, and because of that, I don't, I don't like to play a victim. You know, I think everybody in this room has an opportunity to be blessed. I think everybody here has an opportunity to have an amazing life, you know, and, um, the way that it was told to me when I was new, I went to a Whittier meeting and there was this guy named Eddie C with like some old timer with a hundred billion years sober. And I was on a pass from this rehab, right? He goes, why are you here? I said, because I'm on a pass from impact. No, dude, why are you at this meeting? I said, dude, I'm on a pass. That's why I'm here. He goes, that's not what I'm asking you. Well, what are you asking me? He goes, he goes, well, ask me why I'm here. Dude, why are you here? You know, I'm 23, right? I don't know what's going on. He goes, because I'm desperate. Like, what do you mean? He goes, desperation got me here in 1961, he said. And desperation has kept me here. The day that I stopped being desperate is the day that I'm done. I drove from West LA in the car plane, you know, crazy to be here on time, not to be perfect because I'm still desperate. You know, and the day that I'm not desperate anymore and I think I got a handle on this stuff, I'm done. 
you know, I, I am truly done. And for me, this is, this is how I define desperation. Desperation is the pursuit, is the, is, the, is the fire for my pursuit. In other words, whatever I'm desperate for is the fire for my pursuit, wherever I'm pursuing. That's my definition of desperation, okay? I have to have a fire in here for sobriety, for meetings, for sponsorship, for the steps. Okay, I need to have that fire. And the only thing that keeps that fire, in my personal experience, is honesty and humility and not having a, a corner in the market, a monopoly on anything. You know, um, I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I drove down. I'm glad I heard my girl's pitch, you know, 10 minute pitch, you know, and I'm grateful. Thank you, Sean, for asking me to speak. Um, thanks for my sponsor. Thanks for showing up, Don. Appreciate it, brother. Love you, man. Thanks, Jay, for showing up from Toronto, Canada. Thank you, guys. And that's all I got. Thank you.